Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, welcome back to ASBN Scrum Reset, the 2024, the first episode Massive year ahead, and it's already off to a flying start. Um, Christy Doran, you, you're just the man to have back again. Welcome back, mate, sure. to you for for another year, our, our fourth now, I think, uh, on the pod. Uh, can't wait to, to get going. Of course, some massive news recently, and, and that is that um, you became a father. Uh, yeah, it is, yeah. I didn't think that was going to be the big bombshell news that we start with, um, but we'll get to that. Yeah, you're right, and um yeah. Uh, I wouldn't say sleepless nights, but you know what it's all about. And you, you get up in the middle of the night, a few nappy changes, your life changes, boom, uh, we're away. But uh, looking forward to 2024 and far out. It's the third, third year with a third different Wallabies coach. Yes, I made that joke to uh, Wallabies media manager, uh, Marty Cambridge, um, after the news, which we'll get to shortly, was announced on Friday. And he said, well, will you blokes keep knifing? And I said, well, I don't know that it was entirely our doing uh, last year, mate. And I think uh, the majority of uh, people who listen to this pod and, and those uh, across the greater Australian rugby community would say that um, 1A Jones and 1H McLennan probably bought their exits upon themselves. So um, we won't dwell too much on 2023. Uh, I felt like we did that enough last year. Um, let's start on a positive note for 2024, mate. It's also your birthday. So happy birthday. Um, 32 years young, uh, another lap around the sun. Um, but of course, the big news uh, in Australian rugby last week um, was the confirmation that Joe Schmidt, the former Leinster and Ireland coach, of course, worked with your Bull Blacks in a consultancy role um, the last couple of years as well. Um, the last year, through to the World Cup under Ian Foster, did some work with the Blues. Um, will take on the job as Wallabies coach um, on an 18-month deal to start with. Um, through to the end of the Lions series, um, which we'll, we'll come to discuss shortly, uh, your thoughts on that. But I guess a bit of background on this, Christy, this kind of felt like it was falling into place. Um, the moment that Hamish McLennan did exit, that that was probably going to widen the net, if you like, of potential applicants for this role, given the, the carnage that had been the game in Australia in, in 2023. Of course, then that fired the recruitment of, of Peter Horn as um, this new uh, director of rugby role. Um I suppose. And then also uh, David Nisifora, uh, who has been um, largely the architect of, of Ireland's, um, I guess, wider success, if you like, um, in, in terms of what he's done to solidify the pathways and um, condense the structure over there. In Ireland, he, of course, had worked closely with Joe Schmidt. And it just felt that once those two guys um, had been brought inside Rugby Australia, that the Joe Schmidt, if not a certainty, was certainly going to be, uh, you know, very highly... Uh, chased by the governing body and, and perhaps would have, you know, the mail that I got early on, certainly while McLennan was was involved, was that he was unlikely to to put his hat in the ring. Um, but with these appointments, it kind of felt that Joe Schmidt was going to be the man. I don't know if you need a co-host, Brucey, off the back of that, because I think you kind of nailed it, but you're right. And it was very much whilst McLennan was there, there were, and I know two strong candidates uh, and one of which who's ultimately gone on to get the, the Wallabies head coaching role that would have been very reluctant to to take on those responsibilities whilst uh, McLennan was there. And you can understand it given that he had made uh, the the very strong decisive action to, to knife uh, Dave Rennie to bring in Eddie Jones and we know that that did not work. Um, it, it's... All roads led to Joshua pretty early on, and, and we've got there, and you could understand it. It was, I think, whatever direction they were going to go down, it was always going to be a punt. And you could even say that Scott Robinson's a punt. Like everyone, know, you never know how a coach is going to um, end up and, and how successful they'll be. And 
particularly in this bumpy Australian environment that we do have now in the landscape of Australian rugby, it's definitely a punt because you just don't know how it's going to go. The, the, what we've seen is that foreign coaches haven't had a huge amount of success in Australia. Um, Dave, uh, of course, Robbie Dean's 58% winning record, which, which is reasonable and certainly very good. If you compare that to the last three uh, or four national coaches, yep. five national coaches, but um, largely they haven't necessarily worked. From Rob Penny to John Mitchell in Super Rugby to um, perhaps even Dave Vessels at times had showed some promise and didn't quite get there. And, and when and when the pressure cooker gets starts to get turned on, it tends to amp up even more the magnitude because they're not Australian. And and that's just a part of being a foreigner, I think, in an Australian environment. And you look at who perhaps Joe Schmidt was up against, maybe a Steve Larkin. I think we understand that he was someone who had already put up his hand, that he'd be prepared to help out Australian rugby and, and take on these responsibilities as the national coach. Larkin, Mike McKellar, still are somewhat un, unproven as coaches and and I say somewhat unproven because they haven't managed to get their sides into finals um you don't necessarily have to win something to be seen as a good coach but but certainly that that does tend to help uh, if you're looking at purely on the KPIs or success on the field but we do know that McKellar and Arkham have some really good characteristics uh but what I think this decision does an 18 month role whether or not it gets um uh, it goes until the end of 2025, which would make it 24 months, or perhaps even longer. We should see in Australian rugby going forward many more coaches that will be more prepared to go into an international coaching role because there'll be another two years further down the road. Hopefully, the Brumbies under Lark can manage to get into a final, a first final since 2013 when they lost to the Chiefs, Dave Rennie's Chiefs, and hopefully, Dan Keller has a great experience at Leicester. He's, he's not yet a full season there. He should be much more equipped in two years' time, another two years' time, uh, to potentially take on a, a role maybe leading up to the World Cup. But that's, who, who knows, maybe Joe Schmidt will, will be that person that takes the Wallabies through to 27. But I think it's a good decision. All roads led there, as you said, with Peter Horn and and, and David Nusifura coming back on board, announced on the same day as director of high performance and a, an advisor of, of the high performance team. Uh, good moves there. We need some stability and we need Australian rugby to start winning, not just at the, the test level, but but certainly at the Super Rugby level too. Yeah, and of course, uh, Super Rugby, about a month today actually from getting underway, uh, Friday the 24th, I think it is, um, with a couple of uh, you know pretty big games to get us going. So the Reds and Waratahs and Brizzy will be one of interest to Australian fans. Um, we'll come to a far wider Super Rugby preview closer to kickoff, but we, we bet in a little bit more on around Joe Schmidt's appointment. Um, he, he was asked to describe himself uh, in this. It was about a 30-minute press conference, wasn't it, um, at Beneath Allianz Stadium on Friday afternoon that you and I both attended and, and used words like pragmatic and, and boring to, you know, kind of give people a bit of an insight into to who he was. And, um, I think Julian Linden used it in his piece on Sunday in News Corp Press. Um, he really is the anti-Eddie. Um, he uh, used the word charismatic to describe Eddie. Now, um, I, I joke to you that um, some Australians might have some other words to describe Eddie um, other than charismatic. Um, but he, he's really going to be a, a completely different figure um, a coach, uh, both on and off the field. He's not going to get into scraps with uh, Peter Volandis and the NRL, is he? Um He'll be very much about the rugby and I think um, certainly do a lot of work behind the scenes that perhaps people won't see. I mean, Eddie was great at that too. Like he, But he probably announced it and he publicised it. He was happy to go and speak at luncheons and, and give those you know sporting lunches, those people in attendance a throwaway line, you know, and there was nothing of the, the smash and grab. Um, I think someone, what was it, a hit and not hit and miss that was one of the journalists. Posed the question to him around how he was going to approach things. He didn't get sucked into anything like that. It was always a very um, considered response to the questions that came. And um, he's kind of the exact opposite personality to Eddie Jones, isn't he? Well, he is. And you speak to anyone uh, in the rugby sphere, and they all say that too. And it's, it's some people find it refreshing. And 
uh, we at the raw Tony Harper wrote a story around, well, that's all well and good not to necessarily be able to, you know, conjure up headlines and put yourself front and center. But what we also do know in Australian rugby is that they battle. Australian rugby battles for airtime, don't they? And you see a, a Joe Schmidt, a Phil War, Peter Horn. Um, some people might say Peter Who. Uh, Dan Herbert wasn't seen or heard and, and hasn't been, and that's kind of how he wants to present himself as a chairman, as, as, as an anti-Hamish as well. He doesn't want to be front and centre. So you've now got four pretty passive, quiet uh, people in the leadership team of Rugby Australia and the Wallabies, which is such a contrast from what we've seen in recent years. But in addition to that, you look across the Super Rugby landscape, Les Kiss is the one who necessarily wants to present himself as a, as a headline grabber. Uh, Kevin Foote's not ever really going to be able to, to do that either. He's a quietly spoken, humble figure. Um, Stephen Larkham isn't someone who who chases headlines either. So there's another three out of the five. I think Simon Cron and Darren Coleman are more prepared to say things. But yep. Darren Coleman have also experienced last year uh, the downside of being quite out there and quite ambitious in that the Tars had a terrible start to the year and they showed and they got bundled out at the quarterfinals. So I don't think you'll see Darren Coleman necessarily out there this year. So what that means is that Joe Schmidt needs to win. And that's what he's been able to be able to do and achieve right throughout his coaching tenure. He has had success from Clermont uh, right back in his early days and schoolboy rugby uh, in New Zealand and the North Island there. A very similar trodden path to to Dave Rennie uh, and, and gets an opportunity with the Blues, who interestingly, if you know who the head coach was with the Blues in 2005, it's David Nusifor, who's an assistant at the Blues, Joe Schmidt. And that's something that actually hasn't really come out very much is that link right back there almost two uh, two decades ago. But Joe Schmidt, he has remarkable success with Leinster. Uh, they win big titles. He goes in and takes over at Ireland and he finishes up with a winning percentage of 72%. You compared that to the Wallabies over the last eight years, it's less than 40%. Uh, So instantly you know that there's a guy who's a proven performer, Eddie Jones, interestingly, had a winning percentage of 73% with England during his seven-year tenure there. But there was right the way through the, his six-year tenure with Ireland, there weren't the ebbs and, and, and you know, troughs. He, he was consistent there, three-time Six Nations champions, uh, Grand Slam champions in 2018. And then whilst he didn't have the success at World Cups, we know that he helped transform the All Blacks when he comes on board Ian Foster's ticket in 2022. Uh, and they have a great period. You, you, you see how, how razor sharp they were with the All Blacks this year in the Rugby Championship where they just burst out of the blocks against Argentina, against South Africa. And that's very much Joe Schmidt coaching, I think. Uh, Jason Ryan was, was pivotal there as well. But the All Blacks made the World Cup final and that doesn't happen, I don't think, unless Schmidt and... Jason Ryan come on board. The, the interesting one for me, Sam, and, and I'm interested in your perspective as well. I was watching some interviews from Joe Schmidt at the end of 2019 when, of course, that Ireland bundled out in the quarterfinals. They struggled in 2019. And some of the commentary around there was that for the first time, having taken the number one spot Ireland in the world, rank, uh, world rugby rankings, Ireland stopped innovating a little bit and they plateaued a bit and that year, and they did more of the same, hoping that having reached the summit, that that would be enough. It wasn't. They struggled. And Joe Schmidt, after the World Cup, said that for the first time, he took his eye off the here and the now. And it was more about the World Cup. So for 2018, it was planning for the World Cup and getting there. But they peaked a year too early. And World Cups can be turned on its head by a single refereeing decision, and you can be out before you know it. He said that in hindsight, he wishing he hadn't focused on the World Cup and that he had stuck to what had done and been successful, which was focusing on the here and the now. Is that what Australian rugby needs? Stop looking at the four-year World Cup cycles and, and just get back to concentrating on picking your best team week in, week out and just winning? Or wins, mate. You, you said it there. That's exactly what they need because coming off a year when 
they were two and seven and had the first ever pool stage exit at a rugby world cup. I mean, things have never been this, this dire. So, um, he gets that opportunity straight out of the gate, really, doesn't he? With two tests against Wales and one that we're, you know, 99% sure will be Georgia, um, I think, um, should be confirmed sooner rather than later. There was a bit of talk it could have been Fiji, but I think they may be playing the All Blacks instead. Um, so you've got to think that, you know, a Welsh team that is clearly going to go through a bit of regeneration itself. There was a little bit of it at the World Cup, um, but there's been some players move on. Since then, of course, the big Lewis Reese Zammett move as well to the NFL. Um, so they will come down, I would think, you know, probably not all that keen after a long season that included the World Cup, um, a long European season. You've got to think that that is almost the perfect situation scenario for, for Joe Schmidt to begin his Wallabies tenure. Um, two tests against Wales. Um, you mentioned there around picking a team uh, that will win. Do, does he pick a guy like Mark Norwini Duasi? Um, it's going to be an interesting one to follow. He's, uh, I think quoted last night on nine years saying that, you know, he hoped his decision to go to the Roosters the year after won't affect um, his chances. But um, you just want to see wins on the board, right? And because you, you're going to need those games, say if you can start maybe two or one or even three zip, then you're off to Argentina for two games. And build, you know, into the rugby championship through there um, and onto a spring tour. So, yeah, forget about um, the World Cup, uh, 2027 World Cup now. And I, I think forget about the Lions series next year right now. Maybe there's a thought there about how you use Mark Norgan Iduasi, maybe not against Wales. I, I kind of feel like there might be an opportunity to bring some other guys in there and then bring him back for the rugby championship potentially. Um, but otherwise, yeah, just get some wins on the board and start building that. Um, momentum and those headlines that perhaps you're not going to get from your Hamish McLennans and Eddie Jones who departed around, you know, picking fights with whether it be Peter Volandis, the NRL, New Zealand rugby, uh, referees, world rugby, take your pick. You're not going to probably get those anymore from Schmidt or anyone at, at Rugby Australia. So how do you generate those those positive, positive news lines? You, you do it by winning, you know, games of rugby. So um, I want to want that to be his focus um, this year, uh, and certainly, as I said, there's probably no better starting point than those two games against a Wales squad that you would think will, you know, probably have one eye on a bit of time in the Greek islands uh, and, and can't get home soon enough. Um, certainly, that's how I'd be feeling after the year that, that they will have had, and, and who knows how they might fare in the, the Six Nations coming up. But um, I just want to backtrack, Christy, momentarily to um, to Dan McKellar, Um He's a guy who was kind of seen as Dave Rennie's heir apparent um, and then almost had his, I guess, um, PD, performance development plan or whatever you want to call it um, in, in HR speak these days, um, uprooted by the sacking of Dave Rennie, um, rejected the opportunity to work with Eddie, which now looks like a complete um, masterstroke on his part. It's a big job like Leicester. Um they're, they're tracking solidly, I, I guess, at the midway point of the season. Um, they qualified for, for Europe, I think, in about the 15th uh, position there after the pool phases and, and now find themselves against Leinster again, which um, from what I can follow on social media, there's, there's a few detractors out there around this new, um, well, I guess, the European format as it is with since the introduction of the, the South African teams. Um where does that leave him? Do you, do you have him above Stephen Larkham um, at this point? Um, and it's worth noting that Joe Schmidt did leave open the opportunity to continue beyond uh, 2025 with the Lions, didn't he? He said, look, if my job's done and we're trending in the right direction, then maybe that lure of being at home with his his son, um, who, who has some some difficulties, uh, the original decision why he came back from Ireland um, uh, back in 2020, um, where where does that kind of uh, how do you see that playing out? And and I guess if if you're Dan McKellar, um, are you pretty comfortable right now in Leicester? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Yeah, it's an interesting one because Dan McKellar was interested in the Lawless coaching role. However, having just landed at Leicester, who lost the fourth week uh, when England and the RFU sacked Eddie Jones at the end of 2022, Borthwick uh, was still pretty fresh at, at Leicester. Um, to the fact that Dan McKellar was interested, he didn't want any kind of sniff that he was already looking for a way out. And and Dan McKellar's very comfortable. His family's very comfortable at Leicester. They're happy there. But, you know, it's not often that the Wallabies head coaching role comes available. He didn't want anything to be played out there where he's a potential um, candidate and loses because then you're seen as someone that was keen to go. Uh, and that's my understanding of it. Uh, and as it turned out, I don't think he formally applied for it because he was someone going, well, they know who I am. If they want me, they'll come get me. And, and I don't think that Rugby Australia wanted him that. I think they wanted him to continue his coaching development overseas. And, and that's how it played out. So in 18 months' time, Dan will be about to approach his third season in charge. Could he once again become available? Could RA sniff him out? They, they certainly could. But I think Dan would want to... Uh, be pushing for, for you know for a title there, much in the same way as, as Steve Borthwick did, and that really announced himself as the next England coach in waiting because he 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 won, and and winning does put yourself front and centre. It's a tricky one because if 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 Schmidt was to depart at the end of the Lions series, and that might be results dependent, it just might be how everyone's feeling. It, it could be a decision that's made pretty quickly, and if indeed that's the case, well. Rugby Championship starts very, very soon after a Lions series. And how do you go about, we know that in 2013, when Robbie Deans moved on, uh, Ewan McKenzie was with the Reds. It was pretty easy. He'd already put himself as director of rugby. Uh, it was it was a simple transition for Ewan McKenzie to become the coach practically overnight. That wouldn't be the case for Dan McKellar uh, if RA was to consider him. Um, and Stephen Arkham as off contract at the end of this year with the Brumbies. I can't see Larkham going anywhere just for the time being. They've got two new assistant coaches there uh, with Ben Mullen taking over from Laurie Fisher. There's a new forwards coach as well. So they will want a bit of stability, I think, after a coaching kind of change-up for the first time in a long time. And so where does that leave everyone? I think it means that it's Joe Schmidt's basically turns at the moment. And, and if he has success and if he manages to get a win against the Lions and he's feeling comfortable about the direction of the Wallaby side, I think he'll look to stay on. And the great thing about naming a, a coach for a year and a half, two years, is one, it puts emphasis on result. Two, and it was Joe Schmidt's, he was keen to have a, a short-term contract. It also means that for those that think that the World, Wallabies World Cup team should be coached by an Australian team, to have a, a New Zealand only in charge officially for two years, it, it allows everyone to feel a bit more comfortable about, well, you know what, if they're winning, why would you make the change? And if they're not, then you maybe look for that Australian to come in, in place. So I think it actually means that there's so much wriggle room. I think it's a really, really smart move. Um, from Phil Wall and, and Peter Horn, and, and I'm glad that Joe Schmidt is in charge for this 18, 18 to 24 months at a, at a bare minimum. We know the problems that Eddie ran into last year in terms of assembling uh, uh, his backroom staff, his assistant coaches. It was really a, a motley crew by the time they got to France with, of course, um, uh, the attack coach, uh, whose name escapes me just at the minute, uh, we draw him virtually two yeah, days before Brad, they had Davis. Thank yeah. you, Brad Davis. Um, and how that was spun at the time. Uh, um, and then you end up with, uh, you know, a guy like Jason Rolls, who's an excellent rugby league coach, by all reports, and will take over from Craig Bellamy in the storm, uh, I think, year after next. But um, as running the attack and, um, you know, Dan Palmer, is who is a scrum coach, coaching the line out. Um, and questions that you and I and others put to uh, the team um, there uh, over in, uh, France, uh, we were keen to talk to Brett Hodgson, but never really got the opportunity around defence. Um, so that's going to be vital in this next little period for Joe, isn't it? To just work out who's out there, who he might be able to bring onto his team. I saw you mentioned Daniel Halingahu, um in a piece last week. 
um, who of course, you know, uh, played half a dozen seasons probably with the Waratahs here in Super Rugby and then went into coaching and has since forged a, a pretty impressive resume there at uh, at the Blues as an assistant. Um, could he be an option? And obviously having worked with, with Joe Schmidt in, in recent times, um, yeah, there's a, a number of coaches, assistant coaches doing things up in Japan. You think of a guy like maybe Scott Fardy, who's over in Ireland, who's at the start probably of his um, assistant tenure, um, Peter Hewitt, um, guys like this around the, the place. That it's going to be interesting just to see who who Joe is able to bring on board. Um, there's got a bit of time, uh, clearly, to, to get this sorted um, because those Wales tests don't come up until Wales. And he has got both uh, Horn and New Sephora to kind of sit down and, I guess, have weekly you know, round tables around who's playing well, who's not, uh, how what uh, combinations might be able to come together once we hit the test season uh, on the basis of, of watching Super Rugby week to week. But um, you've just got to hope that he assembles a, you know, a vastly more qualified group than what we saw in France last year. It was it was laughable last year, the, the coaching staff that Eddie Jones assembled. And I'm speaking, and I know that you have too, but not just the Wallabies playing group, but also former coaches which is, and former players just daggered by... Uh, the coaching group that he assembled. And you can kind of understand to an extent uh, that maybe there wasn't the creme de la creme to pick from because it was so late in the World Cup cycle. But the fact of the matter is that Eddie Jones decided to uh, pick a team, that a coaching team that wouldn't necessarily question his authority and the direction he wanted to take the team because he thought that this is the only, if it's going to work, it's going to be a master stroke and it's going to, Everything's going to fall in place. I, I don't need distractions. And I think that was part of the reason why Jason Riles ends up there is, mate, this is what I want you to do. Do it well. And, uh, no question asked. Yeah. And yes, there were one or two good coaches, but they were they were in coaching the wrong areas, typically, with the exception of, of uh, Neil Hatley. Um, you're right. Dan Palmer, one of the great modern scrum coaches by all reports, but he was in his first year as a line-out coach. And, and it just made very little sense that he was he was in there in such a high-pressured environment. In regards to Joe Schmidt, he is well-liked, well-thought of. He will bring in a, a a good coaching team. It will be interesting to see how much freedom he is able to do to be able to construct the team he wants because my understanding is one of the issues that they were finding at Rugby Australia in the last month was a coaching team. And with the budget blowouts, with Rugby Australia really struggling financially, who they could get to join him, pay accordingly. And, that, and that's going to be an issue. And does RA decide to, as a result, not bring in full-time coaches this year, but have one or two of the super rugby coaches at the moment who are being paid by the states, bring them in into the second half of the year. Therefore, you don't have to pay them uh, as much. Um, and... We know that a Les Kiss, for instance, with the Queensland Reds, first year coach in Super Rugby, he might not want to join Joe Schmidt's coaching team. But we know that Les Kiss, uh, and we spoke yesterday, he spent a couple of years working with Joe Schmidt with the Irish team in 2014 and 2015. He knows what he's about. He said that he'd cut through the fluff. That's already a working relationship. We know that Les Ken coach has typically done defence, but he did more recently attack with London Irish, uh, despite being the head coach there. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if one or two other guys pop up and that might be a Tim Sanson potentially as an attack coach or it could be a, a Darren Coleman depending on what his future is with the Waratahs. There's strong rumblings that he might not be there next year as, as the head coach of the Waratahs. Um, Simon Cron, does he have a role to play maybe in the scrum or the, the set piece? He's done that typically in the past. I think you'll see Laurie Fisher come back into the equation as the defence coach. I think that there's a no-brainer. He's got so much more to give. He's a guy that people respect and the playing group respects. And we know that how much he's given to the game. He, he didn't get the, the opportunity he probably deserved with coming on so late in the piece with Dave Rennie uh, in the second half of 2022 when he came in on pretty quickly when Matt Taylor finished up there after that interesting rocky uh, Argentinian leg of, of the rugby championship in 2022. 
The other one that I'm hearing is is Greg Feek, who's with the who's basically followed Joe Schmidt everywhere, a New yep. Zealander, a scrum coach, former prop, I think he is. Uh, he's he's more than likely to to join him, and it wouldn't be surprising if for him to have one or two of his kind of guys join him, and then the Australian flavour, which is what even Joe Schmidt spoke about the other day, having an Aussie flavour in there, and that's the the Laurie Fisher and and perhaps one or two others. So, yeah, watch this space, but I think either way it'll be a much better coaching team. It won't be put together with the same. Hey, still won't be put together with the same kind of. We're doing this on a whim uh, that Eddie Jones did last year. Who, you know, we've got to remember Eddie Jones is still an outstanding coach. He just had a shocker last year. There's no way, two ways about it. Two quick ones before we leave. You know, we'll be talking about um, you know player selections and and styles of play and everything and form uh, throughout the Super Rugby season. Um, but gaze your crystal ball ahead just a little bit. Um, we know Will Skelton won't be back for those Wales tests. Um, who do you think might be at the top of the tree uh, for a captaincy there? And and what do you think? Uh, can Joe Schmidt, say, win 50% of tests this year? Is he probably somewhere more around, say, the, the 30s, high 30s, as Dave Rennie was in 2023? Or, heaven forbid, is it another 23 percentage year uh, like we had under under Eddie Jones last year? What what do you think? I mean, a pass mark is naturally, let's say, 50%. Um, but um, is that attainable with the, the group of players that you know Joe will have access to this year? Do you think? Absolutely. I I, I would be shocked if if the Wallabies don't finish the year with a greater win, uh, with a greater winning record than last record. And I say that because twenty twenty three did not showcase that there is actually some skill and some skillful players in Australian rugby, but they also lost a couple of really crucial pieces of the puzzle, being Alan Alatella, Taniella Tupo, Will Skelton, in the, in the blink of an eye. And you lose your tight head props and locks, and, and all of a sudden you, you lose your bones uh, and your muscle. I, I think that there is enough talent there. They just weren't coached with the, with the right game plan last year and didn't have the coaching team to give players like Carter Gordon confidence. I, I think Carter Gordon will be there once again in 2024. I think he'll come out of blocks really well with the Rebels. And as for the captaincy, I would be looking for someone who's potentially the captain at the next year's Lions series. And But if I want to make a, a and that could be an Alan Allard told, particularly if you see him playing 50 minutes for most matches, we know that Joe Schmidt had Rory Best as his captain for a long time, and he would often be replaced around that 50-minute mark. And there's no reason why Taniel Chupo can't continue to grow, um, even though he could be the most destructive tight head if he gets his mental and physical uh, uh, sides of his game right. Uh, Alan Alatoa, I think, is the favourite. But if it's not an Alan Alatoa, I would be going Ryan Lonigan. And I say that for a couple of reasons. One, he's a goal kicker. He'll relieve the duties from a Carter Gordon or whoever that might be, potentially a Ben Donaldson. I'm not ruling out Noel Lozio, who's obviously a confident goal kicker. Or I, I would be moving away from the Foley's and the Quade Coopers at this point in time. Yeah, I think you know now 2023 was, should have been the last time we saw. I think both of them and and to you know, well, there's Coopers nothing to be gained by taking it forward now, is there? I don't think so. And particularly knowing that you've got a home world cup in 2027 and those two certainly won't be around in another four years time. Um, so I think we can put a, unfortunately, a, a, a bookend their, their international careers, which have been remarkable journeys themselves, but they needed a established Haas pairing. Lonigan is a really got a great pass, probably the best pass of, of any of the nines in Australia. He's a competitor. He's got great leadership capability. So I imagine in the first month with Alan Al Latoa uh, coming back to full fitness after the Achilles injury, I think Lonergan captain the Brumbies early on, really highly regarded and uh, a great, and, and, and is a very competent goal kicker. So watch this space on, on that kind of Brumbies duo going forward. Um, where does that leave guys like Tate McDermott and Isaac Fines, Lee Rasa, Nick White? I think they still play a role to play, um, particularly Tate McDermott. Um, uh, but 
Yeah, there, there's there are some options, but I, I think you've got to tend and and err on maybe the younger youthful um, if you're not going a an owl owl tower. Yeah, it's a good call. Uh, you know, I'm big on Angus Bell, so I might just throw yeah, yeah. perhaps not in these next couple of years, but I think potentially that run 26 and 27. Uh, yeah, he came came through. Uh, he's not beyond. Yeah. And one of the reasons why I think that's a great shout. One of the reasons why I wouldn't go an Angus Bell just yet is oh, I completely agree. But let's make him concentrate on his scrummaging. 100%. Get his, get his extras being scrummaging because we know how unbelievable he is with as a ball running prop and defensively amazing work rate. Let's get him just concentrating on his bread and butter to begin with, and then as he's got 30, 40, 50 tests behind him. That might be a, a supreme option. He's got leadership capability. He wants to win. Really nice guy. Does other stuff off off the field um, for 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 an organisation. What's it called? What, what what ability? Yep. Yeah, what ability? So, um, yeah, he's a good shout, and and I'm sure he'll be part of that leadership group anyway. Yes, uh, some fascinating uh, sidebars. You, you know, you can sit here all day and ponder what lies ahead, but we'll save that week to week because we got um, probably 30-odd pods to get through this year, mate. Um, having just notched up number 100 just back before Christmas. Um, some other news around the, the place quickly, mate, before we um, we wrap up this first episode. The Sevens this week uh, in Perth, uh, Australia's home leg has been moved from Sydney uh, where it was a you know a reasonable success. I think you'd have to say um, some sweltering days that I expect I haven't seen a report for Perth, but you would think that it could be quite warm over there. Interesting lot at Optus Stadium, which I assumed it was, having not read the fine print, perhaps when it was announced last year, at the home of the Force HBF Park, which is a better stadium to, I guess it's a rectangle field. It's arguable whether it's better at Optus. We, you and I have watched a couple of games at Optus there now. And um, if you're in the right spot, um, certainly uh, up on those middle and top tier level, it's, it's actually a pretty good view. Um, but it's not so much about the rugby, is it, with sevens? Quite often it's about the party that goes along with it, so I'm sure the punters probably won't be too disappointed. But um, certainly the Aussie women are off to a flying start uh, this year. The men um, have uh, been solid without being brilliant. Um, of course, the men's draw these days just absolutely stacked, and you know, you're seeing teams get knocked off uh, the, the heavyweight of years past. You never know what's going to happen one tournament to the next, but you would think both... Uh, men's and women's teams will be desperate to win this game. I think the men sitting about sixth position and the women are, of course, on top after a couple of wins. Um, but this is a, a vital tune-up event for the Olympics. Uh, no Michael Hooper for the Aussie men, um, but I think uh, Henry Hutchinson is back and the women have, have got a debutante too this week. Yeah, and obviously the women off to a flyer taking out the two titles uh, in Dubai and Cape Town and yep. the men made the final couple of great comebacks and, and, and also just great fighting spirit characteristics shown during the wins over South Africa BG to make the final in Cape Town uh, where they went down to Argentina. Oh, I think the men they're, they're a stronger outfit than they were the last few rounds because it's not just Henry Hutchinson that's back they've got um, Morris Longbottom had been eased back in Dubai. There were questions of why he wasn't playing more in Dubai, but we saw him at his best in in Cape Town. Uh, and Matt Gonzalez, the other ball playing option, he's back. He he, he had a rib injury when he was um, taking over the main playmaking responsibilities in in Dubai. But those two back, Henry Hutchison uh, back, and, and also uh, Darby Lancaster, who's yeah. been caught up from the Rebels. Uh, perhaps that means that he's not necessarily a starting option for the Rebels, but more than anything, I think it's actually just good communication between the Rebels, uh, their general manager, Nick Stiles, and and the Rugby Sevens program because he's the supremely good athlete, physically strong, great runner, uh, and I can see him going to the Olympics and, and that kind of being touted off the back of his hugely successful season last year. Uh and for the women, you're right. Like they're, they're a really um, stable site. Tim Walsh has been able to just make the one change. Unfortunately, Demi Hayes ACL injury, I think it is. So she's long odds to to go to another Olympics, and that's a real shame for her. Um, but they're you know, they've got the the pace of uh, a Bian Torita and and a Faith Nathan. And they've got oh, yeah. Maddie Levi, of course. So I think misses the first few matches because of her red card uh, in the in the final of that Cape Town success. But they've got enough cover there to be able to manage without her to begin with. 
they've both got favourable draws. Uh, for me, the big difference now for this one is is Tyler King's back. Um, previously, Nathan uh, Tyler Nathan Wong, who's who's just recently got married, um, but she missed the first two legs, and she's their playmaker. She's the Charlotte Kaslik of the Australian side, but in addition, she's the goal kicker, their main kicker, their their kickstart re, you know, restarter, and anyone that watched the Black Ferns in the first two legs would have noticed that there was a lot of kicks going out in the full from kick restarts. So they are going to be an almighty threat uh, this time round. Uh, but they would be benefited from that experience and exposure that they just had to do recently. So, yeah, it'll be a good tournament. Um, and it's nice that it's over at Perth. I think it's actually good that it's at HCSBR Park because um, it's a good reminder that the Western Force are going to be playing there inside a month. Uh, and... Yeah, big opportunity for the force to, you know, market that their team over the next couple of days. Yeah, and because look, we, we've seen the headlines and we know about it. Knows the closely entrenched in, in Australian rugby know the financial difficulties at the moment. The Super Rugby programs at the moment need to pull something uh, out of of not necessarily thin air, but they need to start getting results on the field. Otherwise, some serious challenges might be ahead for these super programs, and and the force might be somewhat secure with the backing of 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 the forest um, and I think they're in a reasonable space over there but most of the other franchises from the Waratahs they're not going to go anywhere given you know New South Wales but the Brumbies and the Rebels really struggling financially so uh, get out there hopefully the message of rugby gets spread over the next month and that there's a, a solid lead up so that it's not just people aren't caught by surprise that Super Rugby's back um, by the time that it arrives and they've missed the first week or two because they need to hit the ground running. They certainly do. Uh, uh, mate, before we wrap up, uh, a bit of news uh, from England. Uh, Owen Farrell, of course, um, captain, uh, long-time captain of uh, of, of England, uh, Saracens legend, multiple um, Champions Cup and Premiership winner, um, has opted for a, for a change of scenery uh, after this season and will join uh, racing number uh, racing number two. Racing 92 um, up there in, oh, sorry, across the channel in Paris, uh, joining the likes of Sia Khaleesi. Um, look, I don't think anyone, you know, would begrudge Owen this uh, this move. Uh, you know, he's I'm sure it's probably upset a few English rugby fans, but he's, he's poured his heart and soul into both Saracens and, and the England program for, uh, you know, what must be well over a decade now. Uh, was, I think that it's rumoured to be worth about a million pounds. So you're not going to turn that money back at, at his um, late stage of his career. Um, and also after the news we heard late last year around just stepping away um, from from the Six Nations, um, just really struggling, I think mentally. Um, now, there'll be some out there who will say that Owen has not brought this on himself, but he's, I guess the way he's played the game is also always um, divided opinion. I've certainly had my criticisms of his tackling style and I, I think that's something that, that could have been rectified or remedied uh, had he been more sternly punished earlier in his career. And we saw that all boil to a head uh, for that World Cup um, warm-up match against Wales last year, which resulted in that four-game ban that many missed the first two full games. But you saw the absolute class of the guy when he slots back and, and nails that that drop goal um, there against South Africa. And, and yeah, there within, what was it? 10 minutes of, of being in a World Cup final, um, having been another shambles earlier in the year uh, during the Six Nations under both the week. So you know, no one can doubt his contribution to, um, you know, English rugby and world rugby by extension. Um, I wish him well over there in France. You have to think that that's probably the end of his test career. Um, he'll go down as the Six Nations uh, Grand Slam champion there, obviously with Eddie in, in 2016 and was it 17 as well. Um, so yeah, look, uh, I, as I said, I've had my criticisms of the way he's played the game, but, um, you can only say that he's, um, he'll be a greater, if he'll go down as a greater English rugby. Yeah. I was fortunate to be at that semi-final last year in the boring rain where England given long odds to, to beat South Africa and, and it was a masterclass from, from, from a fly half, but it was a masterclass in the sense that for a side that was playing so Instructions so limited were not playing any rugby to push South Africa as deep as they did 
to be in the lead. I think it was 15 six at one point in time. Yeah. Uh, before South Africa scored that that late try to I think it was RG Simon and then obviously Andre Pollard's boot um, did did the did the business. You're right. That drop goal was just elite, and it was such a commanding performance. And he's a huge. He's a blow in terms of losing him because he's just such a general. And that's how I probably would describe him being a general. Um, I, I think it's a, maybe it's it's the best thing for Marcus Smith. Hopefully he gets a great opportunity. Oh, I can't see Marcus Smith suiting a Steve Borthwick kind of style of, of play. So maybe George Ford resumes there. But I wouldn't discount Owen Farrell playing for the Lions in 2025. Yeah. And obviously his dad, Andy, is going to be the coach. And I don't think he should be discounted either because he's, he's quality. He's had great success. He knows how to implement a game plan really, really well. He seems like the sort of player that Andy Farrow would pick in that Johnny Sexton kind of mould. Um, I think it'd be great if he gets that kind of perhaps send off to his international career. But yeah, you don't And, play- and has probably the one box he really hasn't ticked that's been a genuine involvement with the Lions. Well, I think he played alongside Sexton in 17 uh, in New Zealand and it didn't necessarily work all the time because there was a 10-12 and then it looks like Sexton at that time was just, it gave them a few more attacking options. And yeah, obviously it's been a running debate in English rugby as to should they have that 10-12 axis or, or have the Tuolangi kind of bigger body there at 12. Um, that Fair play to him. He's given it all, more than 100 tests for England. Um, if a Shane Rugby could have an Owen Farrell like that uh, running the show for quite a while, like that, that would be in a much stronger position than, than what they've been for, for some time. So tip your hat to him, quality. And he follows in the path of, you know, Pin Russell as well as Dan Carter, who's big name kind of tens that racing have had in recent years. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Uh, and uh, Six Nations, of course, kicks off, uh, I think, uh, two weeks' time. So um, the rugby calendar is never too long in between uh, a big time test matches. So we'll uh, we'll look forward to that next week. Uh, finally, mate, before we say goodbye, uh, a survey, uh, an independent survey. I'm not sure how really it came about uh, by an advisory firm. Uh, just kind of reporting essentially what, you know, I think the majority of Australian rugby fans would think and um, things around that, you know, both Eddie Jones and Amy Shortland, you know, needed to depart and um, virtually just, uh, I guess, responding with general dissatisfaction with the state of the game in Australia, which is no shock. Um, but I guess one of the interesting takeaways from it was potentially around the supporting of, you know, contracts for, for school-age kids, which is a tough one. To, to execute, uh, particularly when you're competing against um, 17 NRL clubs. Um, and, and there is, you know, we, we all know the stories are around um, those clubs going to, you know, rugby carnivals and the their ability to offer, you know, funds at that level might only be sort of 10 grand. And I think we, you know, I spoke about this one of, one of our later pods last year after a conversation that I had um, in the public. Um, but, um, yeah, it's a tricky one, that isn't it? Finding the money to keep young kids, talented kids, uh, in the game at least for for a period to get them initially into a Super Rugby program, or um, and where is that money going to come to in a game that is clearly stretched at the moment? We know about the eighty million dollar debt facility over the next five years. There's a real kind of you know um, necessity for the Lions and the World Cup to deliver um, a massive windfall for the game in Australia. Otherwise, it may well be good night nurse. So. Um, it's about getting the money into the grassroots and, and an interesting concept given that we know that Joseph Suwali uh, was on what, I think two, 200 grand with the, with the Rabbitohs. And um, now that Australian Rugby allegedly paid him one, 1.4 to $1.6 million a season when he joins uh, later this year. Um, if you're interested in this survey, it's a, it's a freshwater survey. We've got a, it's, it's the strategic firm rather behind an advisory firm. We've got a story on it on ESPN. I'm sure you'll find it out there in a Google search, but basically a reflection of, of general dissatisfaction across the game. Yeah. And none of it's surprising, is it? And yeah, like, you know, I think it was about 71% of people supported Hamish McClellan going and, and 66% or 67% supporting Eddie Jones going. I'm, I'm surprised it's not a little bit higher, to be honest. But um, 
yeah, I think it, it's a reflection of where they need to get to. And, and at the very least, this rugby shy leadership team do, and they're aware of that, having seen some of the struggles, some of the things that haven't worked. But at the end of the day is oh, I think there's two, two or three really crunch moments coming up. And, and the first one really is around what's the vision of Super Rugby? Uh, what's the vision in the, in the sense of is it is it Super Rugby specific with, with 12 sides? Can Australian Rugby continue to support five sides financially? It seems like they can't. And unless there is, from what I'm told, another $15 million come into the game, then there's too many mouths to feed and someone's going to start. And that's the real challenge for Australian Rugby is what can they do with this broadcast deal? And that was this year for me, not having Hamish McLennan there, particularly this year. Who's going to drive that? Obviously, it's it's going to be an external advisor, someone else with some experience there. But there should be an uplift, I think, regardless from the $29 million, uh, because there's more, they know what they're selling more. Uh, back in 2020 with, with COVID, there was the force weren't really even about at that point in time again. And, and, um, there was no Super Rugby Pacific deal at that point. No, no, so they'll be able to. They're getting much more now. It's more bang for their buck. Um, I would imagine that there'll be increased, but they needed to go not from twenty nine to thirty five million. It needs to go to a minimum of forty million. They would hope for forty five to fifty million realistically. If they can do that, they might be able to survive. If they can't, and we'll know for in a bit more in the next three to six months, I would say. And that could also be dependent on how someone like the Rebels go on the field. Uh, then there's going to be some huge shake-ups, I think, around the corner. We've seen in England sides go under. It's it's not a surprising thing now. It, it wouldn't come out of thin air. And that's why you need to go out there and support your team in 2024 and hope that there is more consistency on the field, which I think there will be. But they need to find that quickly otherwise uh, they might not be able to in, in 25 26 and, and it's 26 which would make the most sense about making changes because that's the start of a new broadcast cycle but given the the major crisis unfolding crisis that RA's finding themselves in uh, they might have to act sooner on it uh, sooner rather than later yeah as you said it makes this first month of six weeks of super rugby hugely important to get some wins on the board early. We know the guys have been back training earlier than ever because of that early World Cup exit. So their holiday period was was front-ended rather than, than back-ended and you had Wallabies kind of back in December rather than January. So um, yeah. you would hope that that extra little bit of pre-season um, may help uh, hit, have them hitting the ground running through the early weeks. Um, but yeah, hugely important that it's a, a winning start. Uh, certainly not a, a New Zealand whitewash as we've seen in, in previous years. Indeed. So, indeed. Thanks. Uh, it's a hot start for, for 2024. Um, again, uh, congratulations on, on your, uh, uh, I guess, progression to fatherhood. Uh, everything is going well at home. And of course, another happy birthday. Um, yeah, uh, a busy start. Well, busy finish and a busy start to you for 2024 as well. Yeah, go Joe Schmidt. Hopefully he goes well. And, and Aussie Joe. And um, we'll be seeing and hearing more. And that'll be fascinating the developments there with his coaching team particularly. But cheers, Brucey. Can't wait for 2024. And great to be back with you all as well. I uh, look forward to unpicking uh, the state of the game on and off the field throughout 2024. As we said, maybe not quite a big as last year, but we might hope for a few more wins and a few at a little less drama. Thanks all, and we'll be back uh, probably in Feb with uh, some Super Rugby previews and uh, look ahead to the upcoming season. Cheers.